You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, The Daily Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. We are looking at the book of Genesis. It's a study that I'm simply calling Origin. Why? Because in the beginning, everything occurred. By the way, let me give you a little joke. Did you know that baseball is the very first sport ever mentioned? The Bible says, in the big inning. Let's move on. That wasn't in my notes. That must have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? I think that's either that or it was the fajitas I had for lunch. One of the two. Tonight we're kicking off this brand new series, several weeks or even months in this series. And how do I know that? Because tonight we're only getting through the first two and a half verses of Genesis. We're going to hang out here for a while. I want to take some time to study word for word or thought by thought the process of the book of Genesis. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I will tell you this, there is a a philosophy going around or a thought going around that God did not create the universe, that suddenly a big boom happened, an explosion happened, and suddenly there was a fish, and that fish turned into this, and that turned into that, and suddenly, boom, here we are. That's foolishness. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about evolution versus creation. We're going to dissect that just a little bit. I've been doing a lot of research this week and going to do a lot more research this coming week as I look and kind of debunk um, evolution for you. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wow, what, where do we even start on the book of Genesis? There's so many things that are happening in the very first verses of the Bible from nothingness to suddenly the establishment of order and existence. The writer of the book of Genesis uses the phrase, in the beginning. He uses this idea to almost illustrate or draw attention to the fact that all things had a beginning. Listen carefully. God is the only one that truly existed in and through all time. He revealed this right out of the gate, right from the very beginning. In verse 1, he states, in the beginning, God. God was there. God pre-existed all. He, in all capacities, and we'll discuss that in just a few moments, was there in and through all creation. Let's take a look at the first two verses. This is the section of the scriptures that we all know quite well. Oftentimes we quickly bypass it just to get to all the exciting things that happened in creation. But I want to share with you that I believe the very first few words were quite exciting. In a few days or a few weeks, we're going to come to the creation of the birds and the fish and the land and the sea and the animals and the plants and even people. That stuff is really exciting. But can I be honest? Right here at the beginning, to me, this is the excitement. In the beginning, God. Look what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. Tonight, I want to look at three questions 
about creation. Three things that we see right in the very first two and a half verses of the Bible. Question number one is this. What role did God play in creation? The first thing that we must understand is that God was not created. I mentioned it a few moments ago. God has always existed. He pre-existed all things. He was neither a beginning nor an end. He needs nothing, not the universe as we know it, not humanity as we know it, yet for some reason he created it all. Psalm chapter 90 verse 2 says it this way, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. Some have tried to put parameters around who or even what God is. But if God is really the God that we believe him to be, he is eternal and needs absolutely nothing. He is self-sufficient. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is present everywhere from beginning to end. There he is. I love how theologian Warren Wiersbe puts it regarding the limitations and parameters that we put on God. He says this, in order to have a limited God, lowercase g, God, you must first redefine the very word, capital G, God. Because by definition, God cannot be limited. Furthermore, if God is limited and getting greater, then what power is making him greater? Let's go on. That power would be greater than, quote, God, and therefore would be God. And wouldn't that give us two gods instead of one? But the God of the Bible is eternal and has no beginning. He is infinite and knows no limitations in either time or space. He is perfect and cannot improve and is immutable and cannot change. So knowing that he is truly God, what role did he play in the creation of the universe and all of creation? 32 times in this chapter, this created God is called Elohim, or the Hebrew word that emphasizes the majesty and power. Elohim is a plural noun. Listen carefully. This is a little confusing, but it really helps to pull everything together. Elohim is a plural noun that is consistently used in connection with singular verbs and adjectives. Now, why is that important for us to grasp? Why is it important for us to understand that we have this plural noun joined together with singular words? Why is that important? Well, some would simply say this is done to emphasize the plural of majesty or the fact that it refers to one single individual holding a very high office, such as God. But I believe it could be a hint that God exists, huh, you ready for this, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a little recap. I know we talked about this about six months ago. But I want to share the breakdown of the Trinity for you tonight, just in case you weren't here that night. Can I be honest with you? Probably one of the most difficult things for a pastor to explain is the Trinity. How can you have three in one? How does that really work? 
The Trinity is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are each fully and equally God. So how can one true God be three persons? God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Trinity, which means a group of three, describes the mystery of the one true God who is revealed in three persons. The Trinity is first revealed in the Bible in the story of creation as we're reading tonight in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, share that the Holy Spirit was there when the work of creation began. John 1, verse 1 which is all about Jesus, by the way, says that Jesus was also present with God in the beginning. And we'll read that scripture a little later in the message. So take a look at this equation. I shared this with you several months ago. One plus one plus one does not equal one. Do you see a problem? If God is three and one, how can one plus one plus one not equal one? Well, let's take this a little deeper. I believe that it's more like this. One times one times one equals one. You see, they are more powerful than common addition. There's power in the presence of God. While the members of the Trinity are three distinct persons, they are one in action and one in attribute. The three members of the Trinity are always in agreement with one another. Jesus never disagrees with God the Father or with the Holy Spirit. Anything one of them does is agreed upon by all. Each member of the Trinity is working in the world and in our lives. Though God the Father is our creator, the Bible tells us and teaches us that Jesus and the Holy Spirit also had a role in creation. Jesus, God's Son, is our Savior, but the Father and the Holy Spirit are also involved in the work of salvation. The Father and Son work in our lives to help us as the Holy Spirit does. Each member of the Trinity is an individual person, but they think and act together and cannot be separated. So we end up with this idea. There is one true God, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. Now, why is it important that I brought this idea back up tonight? Because I believe that all three parts of the Trinity were present and active in creation. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God, a, a plural noun, multiple noun, created the heavens and the earth. There's that word, Elohim. The fourth word of the Bible declares the majesty and power of God Almighty. In the beginning, God in all of his glory. In the beginning, God, the ever-present, all-powerful, all-sufficient one, stepped on the scene and made something out of utter, utter nothingness. That's amazing. God did what nothing else could do. Why? Because God is the one who made something out of nothing. Now, we'll talk a little bit about that next week. encourage you. Be here, it's going to be quite interesting. Verse 1 goes on to say that he created. Now, what does that mean? He created. One commentary that I read said this. He created, not formed. Any, from any pre-existing materials. He created, not formed out of pre-existing materials, but made out of nothing. 
God did not reconstruct or put together things that were already present. But from the essence of nothingness, God created all that we know into existence. Life began at the will and the command of God. In the beginning, out of nothing, God created all. Now, I wish I had the time tonight to break this apart and really dive into this idea of debunking evolution, but I don't have the time this evening. We'll try to cover it next week, as I have stated. I want to to at least get through verse 3 of Genesis 1 this evening. The three roles of God in creation. Number one is God the Father. God the Father spoke everything into existence. He spoke all of creation into existence over and over in Genesis chapter 1 it says then God said in other words God spoke each time he looked down at the response I looked down at what he had created and his response was the same and he saw that it was good until he created man Then something changed. This time, if you go back and look, he doesn't just say, and he saw that it was good. This time, after he created man in his own image, the Bible says he looked down and he said, it is very good. We'll discuss that a little bit later in the series. But God the Father spoke life into existence. What about God the Son, Jesus? All creation was Through him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says it this way. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. When it says him, who's it referring to? Jesus. God the Son, our Savior, our Redeemer. We have proof that Jesus was involved in creation. Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, all the same words that we had in Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, the Word already existed. Now, what was the Word? Who was the Word? Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. The word Jesus was with God, and the word Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light, we'll get to that word in just a few moments, brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God created everything through Jesus. Nothing was created except through him. But now we describe Jesus in a different way. In verse 5 it says that he is the light that shines in the darkness. Why is that important? Well, I want you to hold on to that. We're going to discuss it in just a few moments. Look at number 3. We have God the Father, God the Son, and now God the Holy Spirit. Now, this one's quite interesting to me. The Holy Spirit took special interest in creation. Genesis 1, verse 2. 
The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the surface of the water. Now, if we look closer at the word hovering, we find that it conveys the idea of a bird sitting on a nest, hovering or brooding over the eggs, caring for the new lives. The same word is used to describe in Deuteronomy chapter 32, an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. What an awesome picture of God preparing to bring life and existence into this world. The Holy Spirit was there to bring order in the midst of chaos. The Holy Spirit was there to bring something out of nothing. How often does he do that in our lives even today? Again, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit more in point number two. But here's what I've discovered. All that God is took the time to create all that we are. Well, in the beginning, God. God in, in all of his glory, God in all capacities, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit took time to create all that we are. That brings us to our second question. What was the earth like prior to creation? Dark, formless, without purpose, empty. That's what the Bible says the world was like prior to creation. Prior to life being spoken. Prior to the authority of God taking charge. Nothingness was all around. Verse 2 says the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. Literally, this means it was emptiness and wasteness. There was nothing so difficult for us to fathom. It's hard for us to wrap ourselves around a vast space of void was all around. But here's what I find absolutely amazing. God did not look at the void and the emptiness and say, what a waste. So what did he do? He stepped in and spoke into existence a change. In fact, verse 2 goes on to say this, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. So in that moment of hopelessness, in that moment of emptiness, in that moment of darkness, in the formless state, the Holy Spirit was there assessing the situation. The word hover, as we talked about a few moments ago, was not just floating above without a purpose. But this was a love, a concern. It literally means affected with a feeling of tender love or even to cherish. So grab a hold of this. Even before you were born. Even before we were ever created. While all of existence was still in a non-existent state. 
The Holy Spirit was so moved with emotion and concern for all creation. He hovered over the deep waters. I don't know about you, but as I was reading that this week, I thought, wow. What love. That all that God is, has for us. But then I'm reminded that by definition, God is love. Love cannot be separated from who he is. Love didn't first appear when we were created. And I think of a new dad. A new dad has just been married maybe for a short time and he somewhat understands love. It's kind of a puppy dog type of love. You understand what I mean? But suddenly when that newborn baby comes into the household, you better watch out because dad's in love with that baby. But you see, that's not how God the Father, God the Son, or even the Holy Spirit responded to us. It wasn't, well, let's wait and see how they turn out, and then we'll tell you if we're going to love them. In the midst of emptiness, in the midst of a void, in the midst of despair and chaos, the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the earth with a deep affection and a deep love for you and for me. But here's what I think is vitally interesting. The same is happening every day of our lives. The Holy Spirit is here to aid and assist each and every day. You don't know what to do? Well, the Holy Spirit is there if you allow him to be. John 16 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He is here to lead and guide you down the right path and the right road in life. Maybe you find yourself struggling to make the right choices and the right decisions. Temptation seems overwhelming. The Holy Spirit is here to help you get back on track. John 16, 8 says, and where he, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. Maybe you don't know how to pray. We'll look at Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groaning that cannot be expressed in words. Not only does he pray on your behalf, but verse 27 goes on to say, he pleads on your behalf in harmony with God's will. That's the good news. Even in those moments when we are in absolute nothingness, empty on the inside, the Holy Spirit is still at work just as he was in creation, hovering over you with an affection and a tender love. A love that longs for you to really live the life that God created you to live. No longer do you have to walk around in the void of life. By the way, that's how many in humanity are living today. Walking aimlessly around in a void, in emptiness, barely even existing. But that's not what God had in mind when he spoke creation into existence. The same Holy Spirit that was concerned about the void in the universe is concerned about the void in your life tonight. 
Let me say that again. Some of you need to wrap yourself around that. Some of you need to write that down in the fly leaf of your Bible or print it off and put it on your refrigerator. The same Holy Spirit that was concerned about the void in the universe is concerned about the void in your life tonight. Let God continue to speak into your life, to speak existence to you tonight. But I love what happened next. God began to do something that had never been recorded before. See, up to this point, it just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surfaces of the waters. Then something happens, something that was never recorded before. God spoke. Look at question number three. We're going to talk about this. Why was light so important to creation. Before we can really understand why light is important, it's vital that we take the time to discover what exactly is darkness. See, sometimes in order to really define something, you have to look at the opposite of what it is and discover what that is so you can find the parameters of the definition of the word. One definition of darkness is this, the absence of lights. The word for darkness found in verse 2 is koshek. It literally means obscurity, misery, destruction, and death. Look at it in context. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness, obscurity, misery, destruction, death, covered the deep waters. Then something happened that changed it all. God spoke. The game changer for existence. It's a game changer for the void and the chaos and the nothingness that was occurring. You see, when God speaks, things begin to happen. Remember John chapter 1? It told us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and now God speaks, and what did He speak? He spoke a Word. What was that Word? Well, Genesis 1, 3 says, Then God said, Let there be lights. And there was lights. Who is the light? Jesus. But who was in the midst of creation? Who was there with God from the beginning of all time? It was Jesus. So why is light so important? Without light, we have nothing. If we were to power off all the lights tonight, it would be pretty dark in here. We have nothing without light. There's a void of life, utter darkness, just like it was before God spoke. I'll read an excerpt from a book that I read to you Again, several months ago, but as I was preparing this message, God reminded me of this section of this book, and I really felt that I needed to share it again tonight. It's a book by Mark Batterson called Whisper, outstanding book, How to Hear the Voice of God. And by the way, let me just say this. Have any of you seen the review or the, the postings about The View and their comment about our, our vice presidents? Church, we need to pray for America. The moment you begin to say by listening to Jesus that you're insane, that you're crazy, 
we've missed the mark. How to hear the voice of God. I believe that we need to listen to the voice of God every day. Listen to what it says in this book. In order to fully appreciate the power of God's voice, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. He speaks the universe into existence with, count them, four words. God said, let there be lights. So here's a paraphrase. Let there be electromagnetic radiation with varying wavelengths traveling at 186,282 miles per second. Let there be radio waves, microwaves, and x-rays. Let there be photosynthesis and fiber optics. Let there be LASIK surgery, satellite communication, and suntans. Oh, and let there be rainbows after a rainstorm. Let there be lights. There are God's first recorded words. This is God's first recorded miracle. Light is our source of vision. Without it, we can't see a thing. Light is the key to technology. It's how we talk to someone halfway around the world without so much as a second delay because light can circle the globe seven and a half times a second. Light is the first link in the food chain. No photosynthesis equals no food. Light is the basis of health. The absence of light causes everything from vitamin D deficiency to depression. Light is the origin of energy. In Einstein's equation, E equals mc squared. Energy, E, is defined as mass times the speed of light, c squared. The speed of light is the constant. Light is the alpha and omega of everything, and that includes you. There is power when God speaks. Why not allow it to move in your situation today? Create a light amongst your darkness. From darkness to light, from chaos to life, there's power in the words of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. When God said, let there be light, suddenly something happened in the chaos. Something happened in the nothingness. Something happened in the void of all existence. Something changed. What we're talking about tonight is light. Light changed everything. In creation, light allowed everything else to happen. Light was the jump start to life. Light was the turning point from nothing to something, from chaos to order. It all changed when God said, let there be lights. But secondly, I want to look at what is our ultimate light. John chapter 8 verse 12 says this, Jesus is speaking, I am the lights of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Well, as I began to look at this idea of Jesus being the light and the light of the world, there were a couple things that I observed and that I saw in this that I want to break apart tonight. Three things. Number one, Jesus is the light. Just as light was the turning point for creation, Jesus is the turning point in our lives. Without Jesus, we are left 
in utter darkness. Ephesians 5, 8. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Again, before we had Christ in our lives, you and I were both full of darkness, trapped, enslaved, headed down a hopeless life, even a void on the inside. But suddenly, the light came in and changed it all. Now, Paul says, so live as people of the lights. The second thing I see is this. We must make the decision to follow the lights. Martha, if you'll come. This is the willful decision to follow after Christ. Things are naturally drawn to the lights. Have you ever noticed that at night it's dark outside and you turn that light on by the front door? It doesn't take long before you are inundated with an infestation of flying insects. John 12 says that when Jesus is lifted up, all men will be drawn to him. But the problem I see here is we don't see that occurring. Why is it that our society is turning away from the things of God, that turning away from what he has, turning away from the hope, looking away from the lights? I believe it's because man has chosen to ignore the tug of the Holy Spirit that's hovering over the circus, surface of darkness. They have chosen to embrace the void in their lives and attempt to fill the void with anything and everything but God. But how many of you know the only thing that can ever overcome darkness is lights? God said, let there be lights. And there was lights. We must learn to accept and follow the lights with dedication and purpose. But look at the third thing that I've discovered. Light overtakes darkness. I want you to grab a hold of something tonight. Right from the get-go, right from the very beginning, God brought light out of nothingness. One commentary that I read suggests that due to the fact that light bearers, sun, moon, and stars, that light bearers were not mentioned until verse 14 through 19, could it be that this original light that brought about the onset of all that we know, could it be that this original light came from God himself? Just a thought. Again, Jesus is the light of the world. John chapter 1 verse 5 says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never, never, never extinguish it. Then in Psalm 104 verse 2 it says, you are dressed in the robe of lights. Here's what I've discovered. God is our light. God is our hope. God is our reason for life and even our reason for existence. Out of utter nothingness and utter chaos, God spoke four simple words that changed everything for you and for me. He said, let there be light. He spoke life into existence. He brought peace 
amongst the chaos. Let there be lights. So I challenge you tonight. Don't run from the lights. As Jesus is lifted up, all men will be drawn to him. Don't follow the pattern of our society. It may feel like there's times when you're a a fish swimming upstream. You may feel like you're going opposite everyone else. But I want to challenge you tonight, don't run from the light, but embrace the light that God has made so readily available to you and to me. Choose today to follow the lights. And let God speak life into your chaos. Let God speak formation into the void of your life tonight. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it began with four little words. Let there be.